Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hello, Emily. Hello, Glennis. We're back. We're back. Happy fall. Yeah, it's funny to be talking for Wilder in the fall because it's not road trip season anymore. It's like, but it is sit in your room, listen to podcasts, and I'll then maybe watch Little House on the Prairie on your TV season. It's definitely cozy season. I was just thinking it's a little over a year ago that we drove to Mansfield, Missouri for the Wilder Days Festival. That is true. A year since you heard Pa's fiddle and your life was changed. A year since I heard Pa's fiddle. And we then subsequently went to Graceland. Made our pilgrimages. <laughs> so we're dropping a surprise bonus episode because someone in the comments somewhere, maybe more than one person actually in various uh, forms of request, asked us to all cap release all the interviews, um, which... I think is a solid request because we did so many amazing interviews for the podcast uh, that we have like a wealth of bonus material. And this interview we did with Alison Arngrim, who is the actress, obviously, who played Nellie Olson in the television show, was I think one of our first interviews, wasn't it? It was. It was kind of right after we got back from that Mansfield road trip, which was our last trip. Mm -hmm. And we were starting to put all of our tape together and start collecting all the extra interviews we needed. And we started thinking about the TV show. Allison's name had come up at so many of the sites that we knew that she was the first person we had to talk to. People loved her. Every one of the houses, everyone who'd worked with her, everyone who'd met her raved about her, which I'm not surprised by. But she was just a delightful interview. We could have talked to her forever. I would just say when we conducted these interviews, it wasn't 
with the idea that the full interview would be aired. So uh, they are, while wonderful, you're getting a rough, you're getting a rough behind the scenes cut, which does not diminish from, you know, the intelligence or charm or insight that Allison brings to this. And something audience should also know going into this is most of the cast of Little House have written memoirs. Allison's memoir, Confessions of a Prairie Bitch, is, am I going to offend everyone by saying it's the best one? It's very, very good. (laughs) It's very good about her and about her time on Little House and tells you a lot of things you wouldn't otherwise know. No, absolutely. It's so personal. It's so gripping. It's so funny. And it's really intense. She talks about um, the sexual abuse she suffered from a family member. And so keep that in mind if you're listening to this. We do touch on that in the interview. And if you haven't read Confessions of a Prairie Bitch, I would highly recommend listening to the audiobook because she reads it. And it really is, I think I say at the beginning of this interview, and when we first spoke to her, I had just finished listening to it and felt like I'd been with her. Like it's it's so wonderfully done. And she's so wonderful and had so much to say, not just about the television show, but also about Laura Ingalls Wilder and her legacy and the real life version which if you've listened to the podcast, you've heard some of her insights on that. But again, this is the full deep cut. Yeah, we hope you enjoy it. And we've gotten a lot of messages from all of you about who you'd want to hear from. So maybe we'll do more of this. Everyone has gone off to new projects, but hopefully we'll be able to keep releasing these every month or so because we definitely have plenty of amazing material from so many amazing generous people so thanks for listening and thank you everyone for your feedback and the reviews you're leaving on apple we're it's we're very grateful and continue to be very proud of this podcast right? so proud so happy with it excited to bring you guys more and we hope you enjoy the episode Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. 
Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Okay, Allison, I'm Glennis. Hey, Glennis. I'm so thrilled that you're here. I'm over the moon. I was re-listening to your book. I was listening to the audio version, so I feel like I've been living with you. Oh, do you like it? Oh, my God. Because it's like, when I wrote it, people read it and said, like, wow, it's like I can hear you in my head. God, I hope you're doing the audiobook. And then I did the audiobook. They went, yep, that's exactly what I thought it would sound like. <laughs> I'm sure you hear this all the time. It was like tapped into some childhood part of my brain that had such a strong relationship with the show that it was both like eight-year-old me was listening to it and present-day me was listening to it at the same time. And it was really powerful. I am fascinated by so much about you and also obviously about your relationship to the show. But just to start, can you briefly walk through your origin backstory and how you came to acting and how you came to Little House? Well, I am a crazy ex-child star. My whole family were in show business. I mean, literally, even my aunt and uncle, my aunt was a soprano. My uncle played the violin. My mother was the voice of Casper the Friendly Ghost. My father was managing Liberace. It was, it, it was crazy. So everyone's in show business. So I started working when I was about five, six years old. Commercials, little shows. I did a movie when I was 10. And the funny part is, after I did the movie, I wasn't working a lot. And my father, as a manager, sat me down and said, you know, you may never work again. Or you may not work till you're an adult. Or you might never work again at all. We don't know. And then, like, six months later, I got Little House in the Prairie. <laughs> oh I read for the part of Laura. I read for the part of Mary. Laura Ingalls was like the search for Scarlett O'Hara for eight-year-olds. I mean, everyone, the world. Read for, but, of course, Melissa Gilbert nailed it. So I come back, and there's this part of Nellie Olson. I had not read the books. I did not read the books till after I got the show. So I was clueless and I come in and I see this Nellie Olson character and I start reading this. And that's when I turn to my father. It's like, this girl's a total. And I read it for him and he started laughing. He said, don't change it. Please put the pages down. Don't look at them. Go in and read it exactly like that. And I, I did. And there was Michael Landon, Kent McRae and the producers. And I read it and they laughed hysterically. And then they said, could you do that one part again? And I, good little child actor, I said, yes, what do you want me to change? And they said, nothing, just read the thing about the house again. Because the my home speech from the episode Country Girls. And I read it again and they laughed their heads off and I was hired immediately. <laughs> Which is, is that a compliment to my acting or does that say something about my personality? I have no idea. It's amazing to me when you said the My Home speech. I haven't seen that episode in years, and I know precisely what you were talking about. Right. It's in your head. Yeah, because it's like the best thing. There's this one joke in the My Home speech. I do not know that every 11-year-old got the joke. Maybe that's because I got the joke and I played it for that. We have three sets of dishes. <laughs> one for every day, one for Sunday, and one for when someone very special and important comes to visit, which we have never even used yet. <laughs> Hi, you live in Walnut Grove. The queen ain't coming. You don't know anybody. Aspirational dishes in Walnut Grove, Minnesota. <laughs> yes, yes, aspirational dishes. And this leads into, I think, a much broader question. I'm sure you get asked a lot. But why do you think the show still resonates? I mean, it's on television 
right now. I think it keeps the Hallmark Channel in business. It's on TV around the world. Why is that? Okay, you have to understand me. I literally wake up in the middle of the night and go, somebody somewhere is watching Little House of the Prairie right now. It's literally because it's in every country on earth. It's been dubbed into every language. There's DVDs in every language. It's bananas. And I've met people from like every country on earth who are like, oh yeah, I've seen every episode. It was the guy near Sri Lanka. And they, they only got Little House in the Prairie and Lost in Space. I said, how confused about America were you? I've been asked this about a million times and we've tried to figure it out. And all of us from the show are like, why? Why? I think that the problems of the Ingalls are universal. The majority of people on Earth don't actually have very much money. And the Ingalls live in like a two-room house with a whole bunch of kids and worry if they're going to make it through the week. That's really how probably 80-90% of humans on the planet are living in a tiny place with a lot of children wondering if they'll have enough to eat. And this is how people, real people, are living. And there's a rich family in town at the store who give them a hard time. And there's always a crop failure, a blizzard, or locusts. And they cling together and make it through. That's reality. The Dallas, the Dynasty, the fabulous shows where, was it Friends, where these people like have no jobs and have three-bedroom apartments in New York? No, that doesn't really happen for maybe a tiny segment of humanity. Whereas Little House, people tune in and go, yeah, that's pretty much it. When you look at the fact that the books got published at the height of the Great Depression, so people are like, oh, these, it was worse for the Ingalls, no matter how bad things are in the Depression. The Ingalls have it worse, and they're muddling through because there was a recession in the 1870s. When that took place, America was having a recession, and people were having a terrible time. So then the books come out in the 1930s, and when does the show come out? 74. Remember whip inflation now and gas rationing? Mm-hmm. And you could buy meat like every other day day, whatever the heck that, it was a mess. We were having a terrible recession. Mm -hmm. And suddenly here's Charles Ingalls saying, the slate pencils up to two pennies. Oh man, what are we going to do? Genius. And here we are again. When did the show like explode in popularity again for the 8,000th time? The pandemic. We have an episode called Plague and an episode called Quarantine. The anthrax. And all of us in the show were hearing from people on Facebook and email going, I had no idea. (laughs) It was a huge connection with the pandemic because people were home and they were frightened and they said, I need something familiar. And here it was. And here were the Ingalls dealing with terrible incurable diseases. So I think it's that these are the problems that people really deal with. And it's a very emotional show. So I always joke about how the French love it because Charles Ingalls, he cries. It's it's beautiful. It's an emotional show. It taps right into that and People act like it's real. It's really intense. I was really struck by your anecdote in the book about being at a school function with Catherine McGregor and someone coming up behind you and kicking you. And then your opening anecdote about being at a fanfare and someone walking up who sounded like they're about my age and saying, I forgive you. And the intensity of of that connection must be overwhelming. It's it's mind-blowing. I mean... We get the people who come for autographs and sometimes they cry because mm-hmm. it's so intense to meet the person that you've grown up watching. I was just in Knoxville, Tennessee. It was fanboy convention and it was Melissa Gilbert, Karen Grassley and me. So you can imagine how bananas people went. And these were up on these huge things and the line comes up. There. And so people come up and I say, yes, you come around, get a picture. And 
We've had this before. Like I remember my husband, Bob, was with me during one thing where we'd have people start shaking and I'd go put my armor on from the photo and they burst into tears. We'd have to like get them together and like wait a minute for them. So we had criers and they all cried, of course, when they saw Ma, Karen, they all cried at Karen's table. I had Kleenex at my table because we're getting criers. <laughs> and I, of course, would tease them and make to get them laughing because they would come up and I go, oh, oh, what's, how many is this? T-? You are number four. You are the fourth crier of the morning. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, come on, we got Kleenex. Come on, do your thing. And so, yeah, we talked about how many criers we got in a day. Who gets the strongest reaction from the fans, do you think? I know Melissa Gilbert, obviously it's Laura. She, people just go into a coma at the, the site. It's like, oh my God, Laura, they just like flip out completely. A lot of people don't think they're going to be emotional. And then they meet Ma and that voice and she sounds the same and she's so sweet. They go, oh, that's her. I've seen people really lose it over Charlotte Stewart, Miss Beetle. We were at an event and they were getting autographs. Charlotte was practically doing therapy. I'm signing autographs. I turn around and she's holding this guy's hand going, yes, I understand. He's like sobbing hysterically. I'm like, what is going on over there? She's like, it's like out of control. And then it's weird because, you know, she was in David Lynch's Eraserhead and on Twin Peaks and she was in Tremors. So she had all the horror people and like the Twin Peaks people coming and the Little House people. It was like crazy. I get obviously an extremely strong reaction. I get a very different reaction. We all have our own like different ones. And the, the women who are still in love with El Manzo, poor Dean Butler, he blushes, you know, he blushes. The women come up and go, he's still so handsome. And he's like, dead, like going bright red. So they're still in love with him. So that's a whole world. That kind of ties into something I found really powerful about the book and your writing about your upbringing and the abuse at the hands of your brother. And I was born in 74, the year Little House came out. And so when you were writing about how in your childhood, the absence sort of ABC after school specials or a language around traumatic experiences for children, I was really struck by how in the show you were doing some of the craziest storylines in Little House that I think people mock about, you know, it really goes what feels like a little off the rails in terms of narrative from time to time. But (laughs) when I was listening to, to your book, I thought, oh, but in those episodes, it is really providing, you know, an experience for kids who might not have seen those experiences anywhere else on TV. Did that ever strike you as sort of an amazing thing that you're participating in a show that was sort of providing a language or an experience for kids that wouldn't have otherwise had access to it? Well, we did cover everything. Remember, it was so weird because, okay, we're doing the 1800s, we're doing Laura, but it's the 1970s and the Norman Lear shows are on and there's all this cutting edge television talking about racism, sexism, the women's movement, the drug problem, all this stuff is happening. So we're actually technically doing it, but because it's the 1870s, it's going like whoosh over the heads of anyone who would object. And other people are going, yes, thank God they're covering this. The Civil War soldier who comes back and he has PTSD or shell shock, and he's addicted to morphine. This is the same year when Vietnam veterans were coming home addicted to heroin. And here we have a Civil War soldier with the morphine that did like, hello, how many people were living that episode? The poor, the mother. So we were doing these episodes. Mm -hmm. The women want the right to own property. We did all these episodes. We had episodes about alcoholism, about drugs. Even Albert, 
the teenage on morphine became a drug addict. Uh, The good boy from the good family going out on drugs. This is what people were experiencing. We were showing all of these things. We had child abuse. We had spousal abuse. And of course, the Sylvia episode, or as people um, do refer to it, clown rape. I'm not laughing because it's funny, but that is the it's, way people refer to it. It's horrifying. <laughs> it's it's a very, very disturbing episode. But again, a real thing that happens and happened in the 1800s because people would say, oh, back in those days, oh, back in those days, all the same things happened and things were terrible too. They're, they're, people dealt with it. And that's why when you read like Pioneer Girl, Laura's Real Autobiography, and see the little stories that they said, maybe not put that in Banks of Plum Creek. Um, <laughs> things that don't didn't make it into the children's books. You go, whoa, yikes. And of course she was dealing with the same kind of harassment and threat of molestation and terrible things happening around her. And so that's real life. Um, we did work all those things out. And a lot of things were covered on 1970s shows like Family or All in the Family or Maud. We were sneaking them in, too, but everybody was in bonnets, so it was somehow safe and okay. And, of course, Pa and Ma were there to help you, like, deal with it. Yeah, the the line you said, I think, something along the lines of Michael Landon fleshed out characters that Laura only implied. In the book, when you read Prairie Fires, or as you say, Pioneer Girl, this idea that she couldn't look some of her traumatic experiences in the face, and the show was able to depict them. Well, in the books... Uh, the Ingalls don't have a son, and there's no baby who dies. That doesn't happen in the books. It happens in the show, but it happened in real life. But the family was so traumatized by the death of the little boy that they did not talk about it. So all this stuff in the books is like, Whoa. so then when they complain on the show, like, well, on the show, will you change this? Have you read the books? The timelines are different. And then when you read the real timelines and stuff she really went through, it's like, ah, so, but yeah, they could not bring themselves to talk about the poor child. So she didn't do that in the books, never spoke of it. And then in the TV show, of course, Michael said, what? That's, that's like the greatest episode ever. Of course, we're going to do that. And then, of course, Laura runs away to a mountain. How she found a mountain in Minnesota. <laughs> I always say she ran across four states to like Colorado or something. I don't know. She finds a mountain, a big mountain at that. And then at the top of the mountain is Ernest Borgnine, who is apparently God. <laughs> and it worked. That was my, yeah. And it's one of the greatest episodes ever made. It's one of the favorite episodes. It's Melissa's favorite episode. It is one of the best episodes ever of like anything. And it is genius and it totally works. That has always been my favorite episode. I watched it not long ago to remind Lord myself. Is my yeah, shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I would pay for a little house series of you doing the voiceover of like verbally annotating the entire series as we go. Speaking of the books, which you clearly you know, are very knowledgeable about. When did you come to the book? Well, all of us on the show did the, I guess I better get the book. Or Charlotte said she got a book at a rummage sale, and I think it was like the long winter, one of the really hard ones. She said, I started reading this book and like by page three, Mary is blind and the dog dies. And I said, what am I reading? This is awful. I went, okay, that's what happened. And then like years later, I remember going back and rereading Plum Creek and the first one, Little House in the Big Woods going, oh, okay, these are pretty good. And then of course the pandemic hit. And I said, I haven't read those things in years. And I thought, well, I'm I'm at home. Everything I was doing was canceled. I'm like, okay, I'm here for the duration, clearly. I need to do something interesting. And I thought, well, I can go back. I have time. I'll go read the Little House books. 
And I had just taken a workshop where this great acting teacher said, you know, people don't read aloud enough at home. It's really good diction and training. He said, but as an actor, he said, next time you're sitting around the house, read a magazine out loud, read to the cat. It's really good for you. And then I went, everyone else is bored out of their minds. I'll go on Facebook Live and we'll all read them. So I put on a bonnet, got on Facebook and say, okay, guys, the woman wrote nine books and I will read them all starting with book one, page one. We, we can keep this going as long as it takes. And I read the Little House books every freaking day. I read all nine books. I read books about Laura, other books by Laura, books, all the Rose's stuff, all the uh, um, Bill Anderson stuff about Laura, the history. I actually read Pioneer Girl with the footnotes live. That took a while. (laughs) I did Little House in the Ozarks, Laura Ingalls articles that she wrote for like the Missouri Ruralist papers. That was really fascinating because it's 1916 through like 1921. So she's talking about, oh, the Spanish flu pandemic. And World War One and women getting the vote. It's like, what? That mind blown. So we're reading that. A few cast members read, stepped in and read. Dean Butler, of course, said, I got to do The Long Winter. It's like, Almanzo saves the town. It's my book. So he read The Long Winter. And I completed 600 readings. And then I read the Little House books again. So I read them twice. You know, And we just finished recently 600, 600 readings. And I said, guys, I'm taking a break at 600. I'll be back. But I think 600, we can have a stopping point. But a lot of people said it really got them through the pandemic. I got a commemorative thing from my my local senator for raising morale during the pandemic, exploring the works of Laura Ingalls Wilder, increasing literacy rates, et cetera, et cetera. Was it intense for you to be reading these books by a woman whose act of her writing her life down has such a huge impact on your life? I mean, you are part of her legacy and she is so much of your history it's I, I wonder what that experience was like or if that occurred to you while you were doing it yeah it always has I mean well you know I've been to Nellie's grave because you know there were three different people that made up Nellie Olson there's Nellie Owens who's buried in Tillamook Cork and I said I've been to my grave it's Nellie Owens Curry it's like really weird I was like thank you thank you for being a bitch so I could have a career um so that was so weird but then uh, Genevieve Masters and Stella Gilbert later were all kind of, it took three people to be as mean as me. So it's very bizarre. And the pressure, I mean, it's something Melissa has talked about. We've talked about the massive psychic weight and pressure that Melissa Gilbert has had to live with being Laura Ingalls, that her brains have not just run out her ears. I don't know how she stood it. And it was very hard for her. She didn't visit the sites for a really long time. So yeah, it's been really heavy for her. And it is weird for me to read these books. And then, especially then reading like the stuff with the real stories, the behind the scenes stories, that this really happened to this woman. And she wrote this stuff and then it blew up, which she couldn't believe. And then that's a TV show she never anticipated. And that and that the TV show, you know, a lot of shows came out in 1974. There was a lot of things on TV, actually, in the 1970s that were really huge that aren't in reruns or out on DVD and people are not watching now that were huge at the time. And now it's like, oh, yeah, that was on. But Little House in the Prairie is it? what in the heck? So it's really weird for all of us. But yes, that's why when I read the and then now having read them aloud. Twice. It was surreal. 
but yeah, there is this whole weird connection. That's why, and I've always been, I'm, I like history. I've always been fascinated with history. So then to be tied into history in this really weird way and learn everything I could learn about the real Nellie and Genevieve and Stella. So for all of us on the show, knowing we're playing people who lived. I imagine you get this from fans. It's this nice, comforting thing to know that many of you are still in touch with each other and reading about you in particular describing the set, which at least felt to me like it became a safe space for you and also your friendship with Melissa Gilbert and your impression of her was wonderful. I mean, your impressions are wonderful. They're really, it, you can hear it so clearly. She told me when she, I sent her an early copy of the book because she gave me a blurb, but everything. She said when she read the part when I said she could fit in my purse and chew her way out if she had to, she said she had to put the book down because she went, ah! she said she'd like completely lost and guffawed, like almost peed. She was like, yes, that, yeah, that was, it was like accurate. <laughs> the thing I have to say I I loved the most was, and I know you get asked all the time about Michael Landon, who I obviously want to talk about in a minute, but I thought it was really wonderful when you said you didn't know if he loved you, but he respected you. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. You say that, you know, none of you are in jail or convicted. And even when you talk now about the psychic weight of carrying these characters and the success of this show, attributing it that and how you shared dressing rooms, but everyone shared dressing rooms and you were expected to be on time. The manner with which you describe this whole experience feels that it was not just positive, but sort of strengthening. Oh God. Yeah. It was incredible because, okay, when, when you're a teenager, things like getting up early in the morning and having discipline, <laughs> not so much. And when you're a teenager, you have all this angst and anger and and you don't want to be told what to do and then in my case having lived through abuse and bullying there's all this rage i mean that's the biggest problem for people who are traumatized or physically or sexually abused is what do you do with all this anger it's just sitting there eating you up but you got to dump it somewhere and so here i am on this show where people quite nice to me and I feel quite safe and I have this character who can scream and go and like let stuff out which is like oh my god that felt so good so that was incredible but whatever was going on in my life at the time as a crazy teenager and whereas other crazy teenagers might have on the weekend said hey let's do drugs or you know because you know I was really into uh punk rock and and going to the bands and everything I probably would have cut my hair short dyed it green and gotten at least one piercing somewhere in my face but I was like ah I gotta be at work on Monday <laughs> so there was always like gotta go to work man whatever insane ideas I might have had or crazy things are going on yes but we're going to work on Monday we have got to be at the set, so I, I got to go to bed now. You you guys party. I, I got to go because I got to go to bed because I got to get up at like four in the morning. And there was a structure, and I knew I was going to see these people, and I knew what was going to happen, and I knew there was going to be there, and I had a job. And it was like, yes, you are f performing a function that is needed, that people need you to do, and you have responsibility. It was an enormous amount of responsibility. And I said, poor Melissa, she's like, you know, nine, carrying the show. She's responsible for the employment of like 400 people. That was kind of a lot of pressure. But we were all held responsible that we needed to you know, do our job. And I also had the marvelous advantage of, uh, you know, I got paid, which is like, yeah, of course. But a lot of teenage, a lot of child actors, uh, uh, the money, they never saw their money. 
even a few kids on the show where the parents says, hoovered that money. You're supposed to have a trust fund. So I had a checking account at 13. So I was responsible. I had a job. I got paid to do my job. I saw the money from the job. And I also saw all the expenses related to the job. And so there was a level of adult responsibility and learning about money and business and learning about show business and learning about what goes on on a set and how to deal with office politics. Yeah. And a lot of adult behavior. I mean, you describe a complicated world in which you both feel very safe, but are exposed to a lot of adult behavior and that you write and have spoken about how close you and Melissa Gilbert are, and yet you're playing foes on screen. Was that ever confusing as a kid or was it fun? Oh, it was so much fun. What was I, I said in the books at one point, it was like, you know, therapy with Pataka bats, you know, you get out all the hostilities. We thought it was so funny because we bonded right away. And then the idea that regularly every few episodes we'd hit each other in the face was like, it's like awesome. And it was funny because like the very first fight scene, they were very careful. And there was a stunt girl to do one of the falls so I wouldn't hit my head. But like after that, they went and we pretty much were choreographing our own fights. And they just didn't need stunts for that. The mud fight's all us. They're the stunt of that. The famous mud fight. They're like, yeah, you guys got this, whatever. And they're just like, do, do. <laughs> Do whatever the hell you want to do. And we did. And we had so much fun. And we thought it was so funny to play these mortal enemies and do all this terrible stuff. But it was weird because I, these scenes where I'd be saying things and she's crying. <laughs> and, I, and, it's like, and we're going out for Slurpees later at 7 Eleven. It's like so weird. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. 
When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. How did you carry the the negative response to Nelly in real life? It feels like it must have been overwhelming. It was really bizarre, but I'm weird. I have a very warped sense of humor, as you may have noticed, having read my book. <laughs> um, and I find it's a great survival mechanism. One of my therapists, once you know, we're talking about that, I said, well, isn't humor just a, a defense mechanism? And she said, yeah, who the hell ever said you're not allowed to defend yourself? So he's <laughs> like, yeah, it's a good defense mechanism. That's great. Go with that. She said, yeah, no, having a warped sense of humor is good. So I have a very peculiar sense of humor. And I also always liked villains. I talked about that, that I, I would watch the movies as a kid. It's like, Captain Hook, yeah, cool, man. And I liked villains. Oh, God, I like Vincent Price, my hero, Vincent Price. And even now, Sir Anthony Hopkins. I adore villains and things. So being the villain, I, I had a different attitude. I was like, yay, the villain. Um, so that was a badge of honor. That was cool. Did you ever go through a period, I mean, you do, I want to in a minute talk about all of your advocacy work, but just before we get to that, did you ever try and distance yourself from Nellie? Did you go through a period of time where you're like, I want nothing to do with the idea of Nellie Olson. I'm my own person because you seem now to have such a close relationship with the fan base. We heard on our trip over and over again, how much people adore you, you personally. Because I've been to all of them pretty much. Yes. But Allison, we heard pretty consistent, like of you, um, this isn't obviously a competition, but we heard about you consistently over and over again from everyone at all of the sites. So I'm, but I, I wonder, like, was there, to be a child star so strongly associated with one character, did you go through a period where you're like, I'm not oh, God, yeah. get me away from... But briefly, yeah. it was like, it was right after the show in the 80s. So like I, I talked about the book. In the 80s, we were all supposed to be beautiful and sexy. It was all like the sex comedies and the porkies. And the. And as I said, every part I was offered in my early 20s was um, a cheerleader, naked or dead, or a combination of all three. And it just didn't work for me. So there was the apps, and there's a million bikini photos and posters and swimsuit photos out there. And the fans are all finding them now. Somebody on Facebook just the other day went, What the heck is this? And put up like all my swimsuit pictures. I'm like, Hi. Um, <laughs> so there was this whole campaign with my management and everyone, David's management. We are young, beautiful, modern, sexy women. We are not children anymore. We've all grown up. We're off the show. We don't live in the 1800s. We don't wear bustles. We can be on Dynasty and Hotel and Fantasy Island. Look at us. And so get out that swimsuit, girls, and take those pictures. So, yeah, we're doing that, um, which was, like, fun, you know, sort of. But, yeah, there was a period was like, how do we make this stop? Because I want to work and be play different parts. And, and then there were times where it was just kind of like, 
because it was so never ending. It was like every single day. And it was like, God, it's like going to stop anytime soon. Maybe no escape. And it's also Little House gets mentioned in other books and TV shows and movies. So there's like no escape. And to the point where you can't. Okay, the movie Network. You've seen the movie Network? Faint on away. So I that was I was like 15, 16, and I went with friends and we went to see Network. And I'm thinking, la 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 la. I am not doing anything to do with the last in the parade today. I'm out with my friends as a normal person. And there's a scene where the woman is complaining about their reality show about the revolutionary group. And she said, and the opposite, and the Monday night football, another channel, and little house on the damn prairie. And she and my friends will go, <laughs> and I'm like slumping down in my chair. It's like, no, wonder. I was reading a book the other night. And it was like, just something that, well, you know, like the Nellie Olson curls. And I'm like, oh, God, there's just, ne- just never, just no escape. I can't like go anywhere where it's not there. And so at some point in the late 80s, and especially like early 90s, because there was a big, another wave, because we had the VH, I think it was the DVDs came out in the 90s and all hell broke loose. And we had more cable, we had more Nickelodeon and stuff. At some point, it was the can't beat them, join them thing finally kicked in. It's like, what the hell? What am I going to do? And I realized also because I look kind of weirdly the same. It's, I, I, the bone structure, I, did, I never got a nose job. And this is kind of still, it's the, and a lot of people say, well, you look the same. And I go, oh, thank you. And at some point, it was like, can't beat them, join them. And I also said, I said, well, okay, I would have to literally have massive plastic surgery, dye my hair, and move to a country where the show isn't shown. And I don't know what country that is because I'm getting mail from Russia and China now. So I don't know where they're not showing this, where someone isn't going to go, Nelly Olson. It's good for to that, please. So it's, there's no getting around it. Um, so it's like, well, what are you going to do? You're going to spend your whole, and I also saw all the interviews with the many, many, many celebrities who try to get away from their old show. So they have to spend a portion of the interview saying, no, I don't want to talk about the show that I was on or that character. Now, how many minutes then, how many interviews a day you do? So how many minutes of each interview? So times a day multiplied by, let's see, how many, tick, 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 how many hours or days out of the year do you have to spend saying, Please don't talk about the thing. That's a lot of time. <laughs> and it doesn't work because mm-hmm. all of these people where they said, I don't want to talk about it, then everybody still did. So I'm like, so you can waste your breath and your energy futilely begging people to stop talking about the elephant in the room, or you can just go, yes, it is an elephant and live your <laughs> damn life. Well, speaking, I mean, it, it going to your advocacy now, it's like you you didn't just you can't beat him, join him. You have leveraged a character with few redeeming qualities until she met <laughs> Percival into a power of good. How did the advocacy begin? I remember, I mean, as I said, I am I was born the year Little House came out and I remember hearing about AIDS through a lot of your conversations around. Oh, yes, I mean, I, that's very much in my memory of thinking about you culturally. So I'm wondering, how did you move into that? During the show, when I was still really young, it was always like toys for tots and telethons and things you did. The Easter Seals and the March of Dimes. But the phone bank, all the celebrities, you know, Jamie Farr. Like, ah, I don't, I don't, I don't and all the whole gang, you know, and you'd answer the phones and stuff. During the show, I started going to Special Olympics, the big summer games at UCLA, and I, I loved it. I stayed the whole weekend. It was like a blast. So 
I was encouraged to do so, mostly for press. They said, but I liked it. So I did all the charity things. I was like, sign me up. So I went to all the charity things. And then when Steve Tracy, played Percival, calls him, it's like, I'm sick. What do you mean you're sick? Sick how? And we had to play 20 questions. And then he finally comes out that he has AIDS. And this is 85. So there's, there's nothing. And he was on an experimental drug which incidentally involved intramuscular inje- He had to do injections himself into his muscles and his thigh. It was really bad and it hurt. And I said, well, is it going to work? And he said, no, it's too late to save me, but I'm thinking they might develop a cure after I'm dead. So I'm doing this like, holy crap. So I signed up at AIDS Project Los Angeles and in hopes of helping Steve. And then I also saw he had resources. His family stood by him. His friends stood by him. He had resources. Other people didn't. And so I went to APLA to try to help people. They went up on the hotline and I really took to it. And that was the crazy thing. Then there were all these people who weren't going to read the brochure refusing to have people come and speak on AIDS at their business or their school. Oh, it's the woman from Little House on the Prairie. That's okay then. What, you're going to take medical advice from Nellie Olson? Yes. And I went, okay, this is crazy, but they're willing to listen to me? I guess, I guess I'm doing this then. And then it just escalated. And what I found is if you're famous, like even this much, you can do quite a bit. I always shocked when famous people don't do more. I'm like, seriously, you just go on TV and say, plant a tree. And like, you know, people will be planting trees. It's like, really, you have a, a pulpit you can use. This is very quick and fun, which is what episode do you hear about the most? And what was your favorite episode of the show? I always say, it's the favorite episode. I remember Dean Butler going, no, it's your favorite episode. I go, what is it? He goes, it's the <laughs> Nelly fan favorite episode. Because he's like, no. He's like, hello, hello, the episode when I marry Laura. What? That's people's favorite episode. Um, Bunny, where I go down the hill in the wheelchair. My mother watched that episode with me and she goes, Laura Ingalls is so mean and awful. And it was the first time anybody had ever said anything critical about Laura. And I was like, but no, but Nellie. But that stands out in my mind because my mother was very on your side in that episode. But I did pretend to be paralyzed and ruin everyone's life. Everyone talks about that. I mean, I, you must know this, but that's the episode we heard about the most on the, on the road also. In most episodes, Nellie does things to ruin Laura's life and make her miserable. But in Bunnies, the only episode, Nellie's insane behavior actually impacts everyone's life. Doc Baker's got, I don't know what's wrong with her. He's tempted out. He cannot fix her. And he's being told he's incompetent. He has failed because he cannot fix her. And he doesn't know what the hell's going on. Charles Ingalls has to drop what he's doing and stop work to go fix up a wheelchair for her. He has other things to do. Suddenly, he's having to get her a wheelchair. Nels, we saw Richard Bull, Mr. Olson, crying in the storage room when Laura and, and Pa come in to talk to Nell. He's crying because he thinks his daughter is crippled for life. Mrs. Olson has a complete meltdown, complete nervous breakdown. She's never going to be okay. That's also why Nels is great. It's like, my wife is not going to recover from this. So now I've hurt both my parents. I've hurt Doc Baker. I've hurt Charles. Miss Beetle is having to prepare the lessons to, for Laura to take home. And then Laura's homework and whole school career. And, and Ma's freaking out. And, and she and Charles are fighting about Laura coming to take care of me. So it's now impacted their marriage. It's impacted her relationship with Ma. The Reverend Alden has to drop what he's doing to come over and counsel Mrs. Olson, the blacksmith. We don't even see him. But at one point, they say, yes, the, the horse that ran back, the blacksmith, the Dorfler, he knows. So he's now complicit in hiding this horse from Mrs. Olson. The blacksmith has been dragged into this bullshit. 
that Nellie Olson is doing. So literally everyone's at the teacher, the reverend, the doctor, the freaking blacksmith. All of these people have been dragged unwillingly, unknowingly into Nellie's drama because she decided that this boy she likes, who has absolutely no interest in her whatsoever, but she's decided that she's mad that he's paying attention to Laura. So she's just going to ruin everyone's life and doesn't care about the consequences. All of these people, she's now dragged into it. And has the audacity to sit there when he's poking her with the needle. No, I can't feel my legs. And she and she's like bad. I was like, ow, oh, wait, no, I felt nothing. And like, oh, oh, I'm so tired. Oh, let me lie back here. Good <laughs> God. So, yeah, she has it coming. She has it coming. So connected to this loosely is why do you think you're on good terms with so many of your co-stars this many years later. It's striking to me that you all seem to be still friendly and connected and feel fondly for each other. For the most part, most of the people who worked at Plaza Prairie were really nice people, generally. And then there was this kind of, like I said, demilitarized zone. Like, okay, look, we're at work. Whatever the hell you people were fighting about, we don't care. Just get get on with it. So there was that. that sort of, and then over the years, we've all kind of gone, well, I, I guess this is it. We did this thing, and I guess we're all in this boat here. Somebody asked me, they said, how many people from Little House do you have on speed dial on your phone? And it was like 14. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, we kind of hang out. And then with all the kooky autograph shows and events, you know, the 50th, the 50th anniversary is coming. Ah, that's going to be chaos. Walnut Grove's having a thing. Simi Valley's having a thing. Everybody's having a thing. So some of these autograph shows and things have gotten to be kind of good, some of these events. Oddly, it was um, Kevin Hagen and Dabs Greer, Dr. Baker and uh, the Reverend, who were going out to Walnut Grove and places quite early on in the 80s. So I sort of followed like them, really. I enjoyed going to these things. And then other people started going, what, what? Now it's at the point I did this, got signed up for this crazy event in Macon, Missouri, that suddenly I have Charlotte and Pat Laberto, Miss B. Landigar, calling, is this good? Is this good? I, go, I don't know. I haven't been there yet. And they're like, Allison's doing it. They're all calling. Is it a good gig? Let's call Allison. So I'm like, I don't look at me, man. But it ensured that it was a really good gig. So um, yeah, we're, we're like all going back. Uh, and, and now the Waltons. The Waltons are all doing the Macon, Missouri Pickers Mart. We're doing, me and... Oh, gosh. I think a bunch of... I forget who's going. Dean, Pat, Charlotte. We're all going to the Fall Pickers Mart now in Lincoln, Illinois. But the entire Waltons cast are doing the Fall Pickers Market in Macon because I did it and they heard it was fun. So now the whole Waltons are going. They're playing copycat now. So everyone's kind of like now calling each other. Hey, have you heard about this thing? Is that fun? Should I go? Should I go? And then the 50th is coming. So we're all getting on the bandwagon for that. Does it ever make you sad that Michael Landon is not around to witness the, the longevity or would he have enjoyed it? And Oh, yeah, yeah. Because he, as I've talked about, was the only one who knew. Dean Butler has ta- talked about this. Melissa Gilbert has talked about this. Everyone's talked about this. That at some point or another, he said, you know, everyone's going to be watching these shows long after we're all gone. He said, long after I'm dead. It was like this prophetic thing that these shows are at. And everyone he said it to went, <laughs> yeah, right on man. <laughs> and like didn't believe him when uh, that's a nice idea, but it's crazy. And here we all are. He knew. <laughs> Nobody else. The network certainly did. NBC was like, what has happened? They didn't get, people did not know. I mean, we were actors. We're like, well, this is a good job. And then, you know, we'll get another job. La, 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 la. 
we didn't get. Michael got. He said, no, this thing is just going to go on forever. They're going to rerun this forever. Uh, and he was right. He's right. He was always right. First of all, this was such a joy. Thank you so much. Thank you. I mean, truly, this was such a pleasure. This episode was produced by me, Emily Marinoff, as well as Mary Dew and Sheena Ozaki. Sound design and mixing was done by Amanda Rose Smith. Our wonderful theme and additional music was composed by Elise McCoy. We are executive produced by Glennis McNichol, Joe Piazza, Nikki Etor, and Ali Perry. If you haven't been following us on social media, can you even call yourself a Wilder fan? Get on there, people. Follow us on Instagram at Wilder underscore podcast and on TikTok at Wilder Podcast. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.